It's about you, your health, your family, and your community. This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And good morning. Hope you're having a blessed weekend. Welcome to Sunday Morning Magazine. Coping with the pandemic hasn't been easy for any of us, most especially our children. From quarantine to mask, contact tracing, social distancing, learning online, learning in person, death, fear, anxiety, depression, it's all been overwhelming. Joining us this morning to help us understand the social and emotional impact of the pandemic on our youth, we invited a panel of experts to help us sort it out. In the studio with us now is a frequent guest of Sunday Morning Magazine, Cimbria Hess is a licensed family and marriage therapist. We're also joined by Barbara Adams Marin. Barbara is Supervisor, Prevention Services for Clinton and Warren County's Talbert House. We're also joined by Eric Cavey. He is Program Manager, Mobile Response and Stabilization Services for Butler Behavioral Health. Remember, if you'd like more information on the show or anything that you may have missed this morning, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now, like us there now, and follow us there now. You can also listen to the show anytime you like. Just head to your favorite podcast app like Spotify and Podcast One and follow and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. It's my pleasure to welcome Cimbria, Barbara, and Eric to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning. How are you? Good, Rodney. How are you? Wonderful, Rodney. Wonderful. Okay, so I have to tell you guys, this is a first on so many levels for me this morning. Uh, we're broadcasting in our brand new studios. You guys are my first guests that I've had in our brand new studios here on 4800 Kennedy Avenue. So congratulations to you guys. This is a first here. <laughs> Thanks. And also, the other first is, is my probably one of my first live in-studio interviews since um, COVID. So here we go. Let's do this. So <laughs> let's start with Simbria. Remind us. Um, she's a good friend of the show. Remind us of who you are and what you do. Hi, Rodney. I'm Simbria Hess. I'm uh, the owner of Anderson Hill Psychotherapy, which is a private practice counseling group in Anderson. And um, I also am a therapist there. We treat children, teens, adults, couples, families. Okay. All right. Eric, Yes. Hi, I'm Eric Cavey. I uh, work for Butler Behavioral Health with the Mobile Response and Stabilization Services. We work in four counties, Warren, Clinton, Butler, and Preble, to provide mobile response to kiddos and their families uh, when they call the crisis line looking for support. And we, we also go to the schools if they call us, really anywhere in the community. All right. And finally, Barbara. Hi, I'm Barbara Adams Marin, and I work for Talbert House and supervise uh, prevention services in Clinton and Warren counties. Uh, we serve um, the entire community um, and work a lot with other community agencies, coalitions, and groups, as well as with um, students and, and families in the schools. Now, what are you guys seeing, and what's your on a professional level? What are you seeing? Um, have you seen the number of kids that are looking for care, needing care, seeking care? Are you seeing those numbers increase in terms of what we're seeing as a result of the pandemic? Well, I, I certainly can say this. We've, we have we track our data uh, when it comes to calls we get, engagements we have, and, and we've had a, a marked increase uh, throughout COVID, and especially compared to prior to COVID. And, and the crisis lines themselves have been tracking specifically when people call with a uh, concern specifically related to COVID. It's been present, for sure. Okay. Simbria, what are you seeing in your practice? For us, COVID 
doubled our staff because we had to. Um, we had so many calls we couldn't keep up. And so we went from a staff of four to a staff of 10 during the course of COVID. And we'll probably hire again because the demand continues. Because um, the kids and the parents and the families are very, very anxious because it's not normal to be in your homes and not have socialization. Okay. Uh, Barbara, what about you? Um, I think I can echo what the others have said. Um, Particularly, we've had requests from the schools for help with students who are um, doing virtual learning um, exclusively and the um, experiences they're having with uh, isolation and difficulty and even engaging in schoolwork um, through the virtual format um, and also experiencing things like um, high levels of anxiety and, and some depression. Okay, so let's go there. Let's talk about anxiety and depression. Um, help us understand what anxiety is in terms of when we see young people and adults that may be experiencing anxiety. What does that look like? I can answer it from a clinical place and what it would look like if it was your kid. If it's your kid, anxiety is going to look like their previous level of functioning is no longer adequate. Um, they might be freezing up, not able to learn like they once could. They might be more isolating because they get feel lost. Um, all of us know what anxious feels like, meaning that you get a stomach ache, a headache. Maybe you have body, like your heart beats fast. Anxiety that starts to be pervasive, though, starts to make it so you don't function well. Um, it makes socialization difficult. It makes thinking difficult. Um, but in your body, it means your heart's racy, your stomach hurts, your head hurts. And it means that you're just not thinking very well. And it makes it hard for the kids to learn. And and one of the th- things I think we see, especially with younger kiddos, at least from, from what we've seen in, in these more escalated crisis situations that we're, we're responding to, is that it for younger kiddos, it might even oftentimes present as – uh, more conflict between them and the parents because the the kiddos don't have the 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 ability to emotionally regulate themselves quite as effectively as as we do when we get older and they're dependent on their parents for that and so we see that kind of as a being being more uh, expressed by the by the kiddos especially directed at their parents. Um, what about depression? What are you guys seeing? What does that look like? You know, we all get a little down, especially during COVID. Um, you can't go out. You couldn't go out. You can't do this. You can't do that. Depression. What does that look like? Help us to understand um, the difference between being a little sad and being depressed. Well, let me start with maybe what it can look like before it becomes a, a clinical issue, um, because just about everybody, adults and kids during COVID has experienced multiple changes and sometimes some pretty significant changes in in their lives, whether that's um, the loss of a loved one, loss of a job. But, but what we what we have to remember is that there have been multiple small changes that are experienced as collective losses, everything from disconnection from family members or friends to 
um, missing special occasions and milestones, which are particularly important to kids, as well as involvement in in activities like sports or drama performances and things like that. And and that all adds up. And what the uh, psychologist named Lori Gottlieb named it was ambiguous grief, The uh, this sadness, this sense of loss that's experienced because of multiple small things or changes to everything we always did. And um, kids, as Eric said, aren't able necessarily to put their feelings into words and they tend to act out. But some ways that you might see just this sense of, of processing the, these small changes are things like being confused, not able to concentrate or focus, not complete tasks, have difficulty deciding simple things like what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat? being restless, irritable, emotional swings, and things like that. And obviously, the more extreme those are, the more likely there may be to uh, a, a clinical issue exists that would need um, involvement from a mental health professional. I would agree, Barbara. I think one of the things that happens is it starts with all the micro-grief that everyone experienced. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in my own practice, I see a lot of teenagers And generally speaking for me, when we work really hard so that the year before they transition to college, they're good to go and they no longer need services. We work really hard to make that happen. During COVID, I didn't lose a single kid that left for college, Um, not a one, because when they hit college, college wasn't a normal experience either. Um, Most of them, like, couldn't meet friends in the cafeteria. They couldn't make friends out of their dorms. I had one girl, the college she, she was at, Um, Your dorm door was supposed to be closed. You picked up a Bach lunch in the cafeteria. You were isolated and you're learning online 100 percent, which meant no opportunity to meet anyone new. So she leaves home. She's very isolated. No friends, no nothing. And and she was a great kid, really smart kid, thankfully. And she was able to figure out how to learn. But I also had a lot of kids who during that couldn't learn. They couldn't figure out how to assimilate online learning at a college level with no structure. Um, And then the, the colleges created that asynchronous learning, which means do it at your own pace, which sounds like a good idea. But if you're isolated, alone, no structure, have never done that in your life, it really was not that great of a execution for a lot of the kids that I work with. Might have worked for some. But I think what happens with the depression, if we go back to that, is you start with all that micro grief and all that little losses along the way of things that are normal and how you make friends and how you do things. And when it turns into depression is more like when you can't shake the grief anymore. Um, and then you start to have the sadness perviate through the whole day. And the younger the person, the more, the less likely it is to look like sadness. It's more likely to look like irritability. It's more likely to look like anger. It's more likely to look like um, aggravation. Um, and then what we saw with kids, the young ones, is kind of what you said, is that, Eric, that they um, start to act out. They quit being compliant. Um, things that used to go well in your house, your routine that you worked really hard on, doesn't work anymore. Um, and that's when it's kind of it escalates from being something that is a day-to-day normal thing to tolerate to something that's depressed. And depressed literally means it slows down your functioning, slows down your concentration, slows down how you're able to do things and how you manage your day-to-day life. Um, and that's one of the markers of being more depressed than just 
sad or blue is that generally their grooming starts to fall off. They don't want to take a shower. They don't want to wash their dishes. They don't want to do that. It's not that they don't want to. It's that the effort to do that seems monumental. It's not laziness. It's not badness. But that's kind of the difference between being bummed out and depressed is how well can you function. Um, and can you function at the previous level that you were able to function? And if you couldn't, then that's something that would help with an intervention person like myself or anyone else that can kind of help them figure out how to get back on their feet. Okay. And so I, I'm thinking, you know, as a parent, how do you – when once they get to you, Simbria, parents know because they've seen things. But what about parents that just don't know, that just don't pick up on the clues uh, or just, you know – they just don't pick up on the clues. They don't know. It's it. That's a, it's a tricky question. So so I I almost feel like we're being asked to say what should parents do? Maybe just in it in anticipation of of um, a potential problem or maybe what the early warning signs might be. Um, it's it's so tricky because um, my sense of it is is that as a parent, you know your child and you and you you have a a gut sense as to when something is off. And and the one thing I would want all parents to know is to trust that gut and also to recognize that that children, especially younger children, as they get older, as they get past especially age 12 and closer to 18, 20, they lack the ability, and I can't emphasize this enough, they, they lack the ability to self-regulate. They, they came into the world dependent on you to not just meet their basic needs, but to also meet their emotional needs. Um, and they're only beginning to learn how to do that. And so we don't, we don't want to fall into the trap of just keep an eye on it and see it, see if they figure it out. Maybe we can, and I want to, I want to kind of defer a little bit. Maybe we can get away with doing that with an older teenager, maybe providing some support. But if you're, if your alarm bells are going off and your kiddo is anywhere from like age five to 14, 15, take some direct action. Okay. Get some help. All right. Good advice. Good advice. Can I just add from, from a prevention perspective, you know, we, our work really is to, to um, help kids develop skills and build resilience so they can get through things. But one of the things that we work a lot on is helping kids um, identify the feeling that they're having and then be able to articulate it um, and distinguish it. Um, so often kids are limited to feeling mad, sad, or glad. And mm -hmm. there's nuances. Um, I might be acting and looking like I'm angry, but I'm really um, lonely or I'm frustrated and, and disappointed, things like that. And so um, helping if parents can help their kids learn to really identify what what they're feeling, help them put it into words, and and then process strong feelings with them. How how do you handle this? How do you work through it? As Eric says, they lack the capacity to do that on their own. Their brains just aren't developed to function in that way. But talking about feelings does allow the brain to move into a thinking mode away from that basic survival response and to get into a thinking problem-solving kind of place. And obviously this is something that differs depending on the age of the child. But um, you helping them um, normalize feelings, um, recognizing that especially during the pandemic – 
feeling scared, feeling anxious. Well, that was what a lot of people were experiencing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's normal to feel that way. And so accepting what they say and um, not minimizing or denying a feeling and helping them understand it better and, and how they can move forward is really important. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. This morning, we're talking about the pandemic's impact on our children. For more information on our guests, more information on our topic, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, like us, and find us at Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. You can also reach out to us on Instagram at Twitter at Rodney Lear on Air. You can also listen to us anytime. Just head to your favorite podcast app like Podcast One and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Our guest this morning is Cimbria Hess. Cimbria is a licensed family and marriage therapist. We're also speaking to Barbara. Barbara Adams Marin. She is supervisor, prevention services for Clinton and Warren County's Talbert House. Rounding out our panel is Eric Cavey. He's program manager, mobile response and stabilization services for Butler Behavioral Health. All right, so let's move on here. Let's talk about this. Now, let's think about at the beginning of the pandemic because we had a lot of parents that were essential workers. We had doctors, we had nurses and things like that. What impact do you guys think that had on children because they were away from their parents? And then you add in the fact that maybe mom or dad get did get COVID and maybe they were separated from their child for a while, for a period of time. Maybe they were in the hospital for a long period of time. What do we know about the impact of those things? So I'll I'll start us out. I'm going to start out on a more hopeful note because I think there's a lot of things we can talk about uh, uh, hypothetically, but. I, I believe one of the things I've seen uh, with respect to how children have been impacted by COVID socially, emotionally, mentally, is that they, they've actually been quite resilient so long as the family was able to establish kind of a homeostasis around what the current functioning was. Like if everybody in the family was okay, you know, it, then then the children, for the most part, you know, there, I, I, I don't perceive that there's been any great lasting effect. There, there, there's all, there's a whole host of, of contributing factors that might have caused the family to be in chaos for a sustained period of time because of COVID. And in those cases, um, I mean, we, we could certainly go on for, for a long time on the various impacts that would have on, on kiddos, but, but certainly all bad. <laughs> okay. I, I guess I would add that I, I think one of the issues that came up with, is a fear – it's not usual for children to worry about their family members, their grandparents, their parents dying. Um, and it was on the news. It was everywhere they had. So I had to field a lot of questions and I know my team did too about well, what if my mom dies? What if my grandma dies or my grandma did die or my grandpa did die? And and does that mean I'm going to die and what does that mean? And then when we send them back to school and they're wearing masks – and they're not getting good f- f- visual feedback of other people's emotions. I think it kind of heightened anxiety for kids because that's not something that generally, at least in our society, children worry about the death of everyone around them and have that set as a constant theme. Um, I will agree. I think that the, for the majority, they were pretty resilient. I think it kind of depended on what happened in their family constellation. And and also depended on if they were able to get consistent 
non-stressed care by the parents who were also home and were also stressed. Yeah. And yeah. and we saw a lot of parents who they're trying to now homeschool, work a full-time job from home, manage elderly parents, and it was essentially um, – a cluster of stress that made the whole household pretty chaotic. Not because parents weren't trying, because I think that was a heck of a high-order challenge. Um, but I think they did a pretty good job overall with most of the families we worked with. But that's a lot of stress. And if the parents are stressed, it filters down the family f- yes. through the family, through the kids, through the teenagers, through everyone. Mom and dad are having trouble keeping up. And they're yelling because I need the house to be quiet so I can do my job. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the kids are trying to do their school and they're roaming around the house doing what they do. And the dog's barking and everything's crazy. That's a lot of stress to ask people to manage day after day after day after day without having some kind of mental health symptoms. And I think one of the things I I talked about this on air before is, too, is that I have teenagers, two teenage boys, and I kind of feel lucky that I had, they were very independent. They knew what to do. They knew how to get online. They could do their own thing. But I have family members who have three kids and three different kids at three different schools, um, three different ways of learning um, online, sharing a computer. She's working from home. Dad is working from home. I mean, those, it's just, it was so many factors that played in and parents trying to navigate it all. Yeah, I would say the one the one demographic I saw the most negatively impacted in this way, uh, kind of piggybacking on, on what you guys have been saying about the the parents and and having some level of uh, almost dependence on on school or other other social uh, supports for their kiddos. A lot of the parents that we have who are parents of children with autism had a lot of structure and support built into their kiddos school day mm-hmm. that disappeared mm-hmm. overnight mm-hmm. and it wasn't long before those calls started to get to us kind of being like the safety net of the community and what we saw twofold the the kiddos themselves in a in an almost constant state of high stress not having the kind of structure that they're used to having and parents having absolutely no clue what to do, and that's a, a terrifying place to be. Especially a lot of the a lot of the cases where we saw this was with uh, teenagers with autism. They have bigger ways of acting out <laughs> um, that that are more stressful for parents than um, you know even when they're younger. And so, yeah, not having those supports was especially traumatic. I think for those families. Let's talk about. We've talked a lot about um, some of the things that are going on and some of the things that our young people um, went through. But let's talk about coping. Um, let's let's turn the page and look on the brighter side. Um, what does coping and getting to the next level? What does that look like? What do you guys say to young people in terms of? Because because still at this date, young people really can't do exactly what they want to like what they used to in terms of getting out and and meeting friends and seeing grandma and seeing grandpa, that still may look different for a lot of people um, still today. How do you talk to young people to ensure those bonds that they, they, they're spending time with friends because it's going to look different now being able to see grandma now, what do you talk to young people? What's your advice to young people and families there as well? Well, maintaining social connectedness is important for people of all ages. Um, it is a, a strong protective factor, and it's important to find ways to stay connected to family and friends, particularly for teenagers. Their friends are especially important to them. 
I had a conversation with someone who talked about how hard it had been to be separated from her grandchildren and what an experience it was just to be able to visit through a, a glass door and put hands on the glass and, and almost feel each other through it. Um, and I think that particularly with uh, older members of families, that was hard um, because of limitations on visiting in um, extended care facilities or nursing homes and, and things like And just concern about the risk of infection for older people back at the beginning. But back in my day, we wrote letters. From, <laughs> what is and that? I, I, I know. I know. And um, – for some people, writing can be an outlet for some of those stressful feelings and help um, just process what's going on. And so being able to write to um, a family member or a friend, um, I don't know about you guys, but when I get um, something that isn't junk mail or a bill in the mailbox, <laughs> it, it's oh, really kind of exciting. So um, – I, I think we have to be very creative and, and sometimes it's learning new tricks, new ways of, of using the technology. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this with some of the teenagers, but I know um, Zoom was challenging for some of them. Even though you could see each other, you really were um, the focus in a, in a Zoom conversation. <laughs> and for, for some of the kids that we worked with, they were really uncomfortable. That mm-hmm. was not – um, an easy place for them to be. So they would turn their cameras off, which, of course, is- that's the funniest part of it all is because, I, <laughs> again, I have teenage boys, but they'll get on Zoom and turn the picture off. They don't want to be on camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 OK, so what are some solutions um, we talk about um, in terms of staying connected? Eric. Sure. So uh, to kind of piggyback on what you guys have been saying, what's really surprised me is how how often I've heard from kiddos that that they are not all that comfortable or don't, or don't feel that kind of connectedness from a zoom call or, or things like that. It's, it's, it's challenging for sure. Um, what I've, what I've said to each, each kiddo who, who seems, or, or the families themselves who, who approached me with, with this kind of issue is you, you gotta, you gotta weigh that for yourself. There's, there's risk. There, there's no such thing as as a safe decision at that point. Like as Barbara said, social connection is critical, especially for developing kids. I'm I'm thinking like a lot of this conversation for me. I've been thinking about the the preteen kids that I'm dealing with. I've got I've got three kids all under the age of six, and and there's some critical stages there where social development can be can have lifelong impact if if certain needs aren't met. And so so you got to really weigh these things um, and make make a decision that makes the most sense for you and your family. Um, I've had I've had some teenagers that at least from from what they express to me and and what their parents say that they've really thrived on on that on establishing social connections online through Zoom with friends teachers whatever uh, but but strangely for them for the most part it seems to be a difficulty mm-hmm. for them a barrier for sure surprising i would agree i would agree i i it seems to me though that it depends on the kind of kid for for working with the teenagers in my experience with a kid if they already had a community via their xbox via discord which is like a online platform and that was their community of friends they didn't seem to struggle very much they were mm-hmm. used to their friends being 
not face to face. They were used to hearing them in their headset. They were used to being able to have that happen. Although most of those platforms, you don't see them. Um, right. <laughs> you're not seen either. It's just you talk. And it's kind of like the old version of a phone. Um, but I, I think as far I want to go back to what you said earlier about coping because I'm going to piggyback off what you said, Eric. I've had to have, and this is across the lifespan, more conversations about creating structure to your day. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're eating regularly. Make sure you have a regular bedtime. Make sure you still get up at a regular time. Make sure you eat healthy food. Make sure you walk around a little bit. Move around. Don't stay in one seat all flipping day. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think one of the things that happened during COVID is the lack of structure is like an open channel for all kinds of mental health bad things. Um Good coping skills and good mental health skills are a structure to your day. You move around some. You have social engagement some. You eat some. But that you have some routine and a pattern because that gives us comfort. And if you take away routine, you take away structure, people get stressed um, because they don't. And then it's like days and days and days and days and days of that. And I think that led to a lot of depression for a lot of people because they gave up their routine. They gave up their structure or they were suddenly trying to like – take care of their kids in homeschool during the day and then work at night and then not sleep like they used to sleep, not talk to their people like they used to talk. And it was like this open invitation for a mental health crisis. Good mental health management is structure, routine, move, good food. Um, that's basic. Like a preventionist. Um, <laughs> well, it is, but I, but I didn't, I didn't used to have to have those conversations with people. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and I'm saying to people, did you leave your house today? Did you at least go for a walk outside? Did you go sit on your deck for a wee bit so you got some air um and people would literally say no didn't occur to me and i'm like okay well um let's do that now um, uh-huh. um and we didn't used to have to talk about that because daily life created a structure for us and that took it away and now what i'm noticing is um i have a bunch of preteen through high school age kids that are terrified of going back to school i mean scared to death they're like well i haven't been with all those people in that way without masks on um, I haven't done that before. I haven't, you know, or they limited how we did band or they limited how we did um, sports. They, everything was changed. Um, and then and then there's this other weird thought I had earlier, which is I think it's I think it's been a hard time to parent. Like I, I don't envy people with trying to parent young ones in their home right now. I have no envy for them whatsoever. It looks like a nightmare to me. Um, <laughs> it really, truly does, because I can't figure out how. You would feel sane whatsoever trying to manage, you know, work outside of the home, you know, the needs of different stages of kids, their education and your own social life and your own relationship with whoever you care about just sounds like a nightmare to me um, because of the lack of structure. But I, what I, what and many I, have lived that nightmare or <laughs> yeah, will yeah. continuing yes, to live yeah. that nightmare. I mean, my yes. kids are in their twenties, but it's different because, but even with them, it was hard because they were like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing, mom? Why are you doing that? Like, when can we come over? When can we do? And we were trying to navigate all that, even with them, with parents. I think the one message I want to make sure we get out there is what's the difference between your kid struggling normally being like a normal pain in the pain in the behind teenager and somebody who's actually in trouble. And to me, the difference is functioning level. Um, if they can't do the stuff they previously did or they're not engaging in the things they previously did over a period of time, whether it's three days, three weeks, a month, or they say to you, I don't feel right, um, listen to them. 
They're trying to tell you what they can't, maybe can't put into words because we don't have language for it, really, even. Um, but that's been the hard thing because kids will come to me and report, well, I told them that I'm struggling. And they say, well, you're a teenager. Everybody struggles. Teenage life is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it's different now because their development got disrupted by the pandemic. And that is different. And that's different than what all of us had to go through as a teenager. Yeah, teenage life isn't always great. But this is different. They developmentally weren't able to do the stuff that helps them feel secure, be with friends, have the routine right. of school, right. all that stuff that helps a teenager feel secure and a little one. I, although I think the younger adapted somewhat better. Um, the ones that were used to their routine, um, I think that's been harder for them. But but as a parent, I guess what I would want to watch for is functioning level. Are they doing that? Are they sleeping right? Are they not sleeping right? Did they quit eating correctly like they used to eat? Um, are they not talking to you as much as they used to? You know, I know all teenagers kind of run off and hide in their room if they're able to. But is it more so? And then when you do try to engage with them when they're in the room, are they willing to engage with you? If they just lay there and stare at you and have nothing to say and they didn't used to do that, something's up. Have a conversation about it. Um, have a conversation about how are they feeling emotionally, have a conversation about what is this like for you and really listen, not just try to negate that this, yeah, being a teenager is awful. Um, cause I think most of the time, if you can listen to them and they feel heard and they feel understood, that's preventative. Yeah. That yeah. helps them not land in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, cause their needs are met by somebody else, but it's a tough call as a parent because they're stressed too. And I totally understand that, but I would watch for those micro changes, those little changes you see. And if you see them and they last over time, go have a conversation with your teen or your kid. What's going on with you? Here's what I see. What's going on in your head? Um, Because most of the time, if they ask, they'll answer you. They don't know to bring it up, though. Well, they don't know how to articulate. Yeah. And, and, And I think you made a good point about um, the importance of structure and routines and self-care. But I think in the pandemic, we've all had to be – uh, consciously intentional about yeah. it because sweatpants um, all day, <laughs> all day every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just think that as as you were saying, some of that was built into our daily life, and COVID changed that. And we have to intentionally put that back in, or intentionally make sure not only are do we have regular meal times and and uh, schedule for waking up and and going to sleep but building in time for um checking in with each other building in time for um relaxation and fun and not seeing that as something optional that we'll do if there's time or things like that but really valuing um that time to just enjoy because um there was so much that was stressful and concerning and worrying. And so even just learning to be fully present to, um, you know, watch a cardinal build a nest outside the window, for example, or something like that, Um, learning new tricks to to really enjoy life. And I think one of the problems – was at least in my household, I felt like we all had our own little routines. We were all doing our own little things, you know, to get us through the pandemic. You know, maybe I was working, my boys, they played their Xbox and things like that. But then you you think you're together all the time, but what you find out is you're really not. You're in the same house, but you're in different rooms doing different things. So I think we had to learn how to 
There has to be, be family time. on top time. of each other. Yeah. yeah, you have to be. And you're, I think, in my mind, even in my mind as a parent, I'm thinking we're cool. We're all, we're here together. We, we have dinner together. We're here together. But they're still, we're still separate. But you have to find time to family time this, you know, mm-hmm. play a game, go out and do a walk, do something as a group. Because I think the kids are feeling that loss, too. And yeah, bored. Absolutely. And bored, yes. Bored, Thank you. Bored to me is one of those problems that does also create people acting badly. Um, it's one of those things if you get bored and that boredom goes on and on and on. Because we all thought it was going to be a month. And then it was two months. And then and then it dragged on for a flipping year plus. Um, and um, I don't know about you all, but um, as it dragged on, I had a real uh, difficulty with time. And knowing what day it was, yeah. or it, I'd wake up and say, "Is it a work day or is it a weekend?" Um, <laughs> I just set alarms but, on my know, phone. What, right. what day, uh, you know, things like at that. At the beginning, so I did a whole distorted. count. I had a whole countdown. This is day two of the quarantine. This is day. I think I got up to like day sixty, and I just, you know, I just lost control. You know, I just lost count of it. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's boredom is not minor for mental health. If you get bored and it extends on and on and on, it's it's just this invitation to negative thinking and for your head to think of everything bad in the universe. And I think that gets people in about as much trouble as acting out because they're bored because the, their brain looks for something to be stimulated about and it'll go look and it'll find bad stuff for you super easily. And again, this morning, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. This morning, we're talking about the impact the pandemic has had on our children, the social, the emotional impact the pandemic has had on our children. Joining us in the studio is Eric Cavey. He is Program Manager of Mobile Response and Stabilization Services for Butler County Behavioral Health. We're also joined by Barbara Adams-Marin, Supervisor Prevention Services for Clinton and Warren Counties, Talbert House. And rounding out our panel is Simbria Hess, licensed family and marriage therapist. For anything that you may have missed or if you missed anything on the show, you can always listen to the show anytime you like. Just head to your favorite podcast app like Podcast One or Spotify and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Let me ask you guys this. Let's go back to this in young people. And Simbria, you brought this up. And so that you, Barbara, when young people, when they head back to school, and, you know, sometimes it, it may be their first time, uh, you know, since the pandemic. Um, let's give them some tips. What can they do? Let's make them when they walk in this door um, at the beginning of the school year. How can we make this a better experience for them? What can we do? What advice would you give to them? Maybe parents, educators. What do we know? What can, what advice can we offer? Well, I know that educators are are spending a lot of time and energy preparing for that, and they're they're very aware of how important it is to reestablish relationships. Um, those were very abruptly cut off when the pandemic uh, started, and the stay at home orders went into effect. Um, and I think the the teachers I've talked to have experienced that unpleasantness as much as the kids, but they're really consciously um, working towards reestablishing the relationships as kids come back, sometimes um, making sure that kids reconnect with the teacher they left. But I I think they are paying a lot of attention to the um, social and emotional needs that kids will be bringing back to school with them. Okay, and Eric, what can we do to help these young people as they enter the classroom, maybe for the very first time since the pandemic? What advice would you have for these young people? 
I think, uh, especially thinking about older teenagers or, or even younger teenagers, but recognize that everybody is going to be having the same kind of struggles you're having right now. Like we've all kind of lost practice at our social game. And so have some grace with yourself, have some mm-hmm. grace with each other. It's a lot like riding a bike. You're like, people are going to get back on that bike and we're, we're all going to be pedaling again. It's going to get there. Uh, we, we all need it. We all want it. We all crave it. We're all going to do this together. Okay. I know one of the things that um, I think I worry about for um, my grandchildren is um, during the pandemic, we kind of think that things stayed the same, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And each person did their own changing and growing. And I, I, I guess I, I'm concerned that my girls will head back to school and expect everything to be where they left mm. it and, and including their relationships. And, and it's normal at their ages, 11 and 14, for people to kind of go in different directions and be yeah. in different places. And I think that might be a real challenge for them, expecting those friendships to be the same but everybody being in a different place. Yes. I, I would yeah. agree. I hear that from kids. And I remind them that from junior high to high school, the average kid changes friend groups six times completely. Um, um, really? Yeah, that that's not uncommon. Um, you know, starting like in sixth, seventh grade through the MP by the time you graduate, you've usually switched friend groups. Now, if you've stayed with one specific sport or one specific thing, then you might get to keep those people. But people come in and out. They do what they're supposed to do, and that's not a bad thing. That's just life. That's, um, that's how and, we become. Yeah, yeah. and that's adapting, yeah. and it's good. It exposes you to more people and helps you figure out who your people are. And as far as preparing, and what I've been talking to, to people, teenagers and down, is exposure. If you need to go walk the building, then let's set up a time that you can go walk the building. If you need to that's figure good. out what you're going to do, then what your routine's going to be, then do that. I've talked to parents about even though your kid's a high schooler, you might need to follow up at the end of the day and help them set up a routine again for homework or for what their life's going to be and to make sure they're taking good care because I don't think it's going to come natural normal because we disrupted it. So parents might have to step in a little more than they would have for that age, quote unquote, before. But I do some exposure stuff and I also tell them, you know, go like you said, give them some grace. I just say, well, go make it a weird experiment. You know, this has been a huge sci-fi project anyway. Um, you, know, you know, go make it a weird experiment and see who you have in your classes and see what it's like. But don't expect it to be good. Just expect it to be an experiment. You're going to walk through two, three days. It'll be uncomfortable and then you'll be, probably be pretty okay. But expect to be uncomfortable because it's weird. Um, I have like an eight-year-old nephew and he was worried about everyone not wearing masks. And, and I, I asked him what he was worried about. And he said, well, I used to get to make faces. At my teachers, and they couldn't tell. <laughs> and, and and he he said that he was worried because they were worried that um, would he get in trouble, or then what if people breathed, or they sneezed, or they coughed? And he said, "Well, you do the same st- stuff you did before. You wash your hands, you cover your mouth." And he was like, "Oh, just that?" And I was like, "Yeah," but that's something he had had in his head, and <laughs> because he was used to even when he was in class, they had masks on last time. And now they won't have to. And and I think it's talking to your kids about this is what to expect. You know, this is still good grooming to wash your hands a lot. And <laughs> and, and and those kind of things so they know what to expect so life doesn't feel so unpredictable. And again, in case you're just tuning in, we're talking about the pandemic's impact on our children, the social, emotional impact the pandemic is having on our children. 
In the studio, we're joined by a panel of three experts. Cimbria Hess is a licensed family and marriage therapist. Barbara Adams Marin is with the Talbert House, and Eric Cavey is with Butler Behavioral Health. All right. Finally, this morning, as we start wrapping up, um, I want to talk about let's end this with talking um, about coping. We mentioned it earlier, but let's very specifically, um, how do we cope? How do we help young people cope in terms of um, the aftermath or what's going on with the pandemic? Let's talk about what we can do. Parents, children, what can we do in terms of coping? Barbara. I think the pandemic has given us multiple opportunities for learning how to deal with tough situations and to help um, our kids build some resilience to manage the bumps of life. Um, some things that that we like to focus on with the students we work with is uh, some of the basics, just uh, things like breathing and trying to uh, get your breathing under control because when we're upset – we breathe more shallowly, and what we want to do is um, try mindful breathing. Sometimes yoga breathing is what it's called, but that recalibrates the heart rate. And when we can do that, we lower stress hormones. So we just naturally help ourselves calm down. And I think that other part of mindfulness of of staying in the now, really focusing and and concentrating on on what is happening, what I'm doing, um, seeing it fully, maybe trying to experience it with all five senses, is also another way of making sure that that we aren't letting ourselves go into that um, kind of survival response mode. Um, and and really, you know, focusing on what you can control and letting go of what you can't. Um, and and Eric said this earlier, and I can't I can't emphasize it enough that cutting ourselves a little slack. This has been a really really hard time for everybody, and we just need to be um, patient with each other and yeah. and allow each other, um, you know, to. A little space and, and, and just that grace that, okay, this isn't the best of times and I may not be my best self. Um, so be patient. And and um, as much as parents can help kids be positive and develop an attitude of optimism, um, things are going to be different. Um, we will get through this. And, and that positive attitude can really help carry you through some some tough spaces. So, All right, Eric, in terms of coping, what do you want young people to know? What do you want parents to know? I would say first for parents, it you, you're going to have to, I would encourage you to walk that line between paying attention, uh, listening to your gut, making sure you're aware of what's going on with your kiddos, what's going on with yourself, and then uh, as we've been talking about here recently, also going back to that grace, going back to that, giving yourself some, uh, how did you put it, Barb? You give yourself, be patient with yourself. Be patient. Yeah. And be patient with your kiddos. Um, don't, we don't want to, we don't want to make, uh, too much out of, you know, little things that pop up necessarily, but you do want to pay attention and you want to get some help if you feel like you need to get help. Um, but the worst thing you can do as a parent is is get too deep into your own head and, and, and ruminate too much about, you know, all the all the different problems that the pandemic might have caused for your kids or for yourself. We're not going back to normal We're we're going to be going to 
a new thing. We're going to be adapting yet again as we're as we're breaking out of this. We've been in it too long for us to consider this going back to normal. So so because it's in a uh, a time to adapt and adjust, we we really have to emphasize that patience and that grace. What I would say to to young people is um, similar. Just check in with yourself. Check in with with the people you trust. Uh, ideally, your parents, and um, try to make sure you're you're communicating, but also give yourself that grace. Let yourself let yourself adjust. Give yourself that time you need. All right, Sembria, what do parents need to know in terms of coping? I would say if we kept it really simple, it would be. I, what I would want them to get out of today was to be intentionally kind and intentionally loving to themselves and to their kids and their family um, and let that spread. And the other thing I would point out is we already got through it. So what the bad stuff is is historical. Now we just have to adapt. And humans are incredible at adapting. We're really, really good at it. Um, so if we can remember that, the rest we just have to figure out and smooth out the wrinkles on how to get this done. But I would say be intentionally kind, be intentionally loving to yourself, to your kids, and then let that grow. And we'll get through it. All right. A new adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, plenty of new opportunities that have come out of our COVID experiences and and to think of it as, as just move, moving on and the, the adventure, you know, going where you've never been before. The adventure continues. <laughs> <laughs> the sci-fi experience. Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> go. All right. all right. Well, thank you all for taking time to talk to us. If our listeners would like to find out more about you guys, if they um, need services or need help, um, let's talk about um, what's available and um, how they can reach out to you if possible, um, starting with Eric. So uh, the number one thing I would I would encourage you to do if – if you want to be prepared, is find out what your local crisis line number is. Every county has their own crisis line number, and it's the best number to call. There, using national hotlines is fine too. I don't want to downplay that, but but finding access to your local crisis line can often get you quickly linked up to a therapist that can, and oftentimes, be able to respond to you in person within an hour. Okay. Barbara, if our listeners would like to reach out to you, if they would like to find out more about your services, how can they find out more? Um, I, I agree that with Eric is finding the the local uh, crisis line helpline numbers um, for Hamilton County. Talbert House has a, a, a helpline number which is five one three two two one help. But every county has has their own services. And another resource is the local um, mental health and um, addiction services board. They they keep um, a a list of all the providers in that area and how to get in touch with them and what's available. Um, we always share the crisis text line number because we know that um, kids text each other. They don't call. And 741-741, uh, texting help to that number uh, will connect you to a, a local resource, even though it's a national number. Okay. Thank you. Sambria, how can our listeners reach out to you? Um, the, our office phone number is 513-233-0020, and the website is sambriahess.com. All right. Well, that's it this morning. Thank you guys for taking time to talk to us. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's a huge topic. Um, we got through it. Um, hope we helped someone this morning, and I think we did. Thank you so much for your input. I, I really appreciate it.
Thank you for having us. Thanks for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Rodney. First show, Rodney. <laughs> oh, yes, we did it. We did it. I feel like the kids. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Listen to Sunday Morning Magazine no matter what day it is. Use your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear today. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.